Hey, Saints and Aints. Welcome to the last episode of season four of 30 Minutes with the Perrys. Please don't weep because Christ is risen. And we'll be back. You know that song? Another Quiddles. You actually you danced, you, you danced to that song on Instagram. Huh? Where, uh, don't cry, Christ has risen. And yeah. you did the most. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was kind of embarrassed when uh, Tammy Franklin was like, I'm going to share this to my husband. No, she did. And I was like, oh. it was It was the raggediest praise dance I ever seen Franklin is going to see me like imitating him wrongly. Okay. Have you enjoyed recording <laughs> this season? I have. Why? I could look at your beautiful face, your little Persian eyes, and, you know, pretty brown skin okay so we like a beautiful stain of coffee we're part stain Mm -hmm. anytime you use stain as an adjective that was was a bad to describe somebody that was a bad that's just not ever gonna work that was a bad adjective you might as well say blot that was a bad adjective i apologize a a beautiful drop of coffee drop drop so a a little modicum you such a small piece of leather (laughs) but you so well put together Mm. We're on Patreon. I tell Jackie she's and be- beautiful and every day. And she just looks at me like I'm a nuisance. We're on Patreon. <laughs> and because we're on Patreon, we have You're like so this. Beautiful. Stop. Okay, I'm stop. <laughs> so we're on Patreon. <laughs> and I wrote to all the Patreon saints. It was like, hey, we're going to answer y'all questions live on the podcast. Uh, ask us some questions. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a, a, a quick little QA or whatever. I love when you talk hood. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> I love it. It reminds me when I first met You're you. You're so distracted. <laughs> it just reminds me you, when I first you met you. You need Adderall right now. <laughs> <laughs> A-sap. Okay, first question. Uh, Miracle said, hey, Jackie, would you disciple me? Laugh emoji, laugh emoji. I'm halfway joking. Nah. No. And this is why. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> Discipleship, I believe, is something that is best had in community, Mm -hmm. right? So there is discipleship uh, aspects to what we both do, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I'm leading, when I'm teaching a sermon or even this conversation, it's useful and it could bear fruit in your life insofar as you apply it and believe the word and all the things. But real authentic discipleship, I believe, is like what Jesus had with the disciples where they was with this man. No, absolutely. Yeah, because... Because like literally, like when we think about discipleship historically, we have to understand that like that that was how you know um, people learned from their rabbis, which was teachers back in the day. It's like typically they didn't learn from people by like you know looking at them on a stage teaching or whatever, or just meeting at a coffee shop or whatever and going over a couple of scriptures. It's like no, like most most rabbis in, in that day, like John the Baptist, he had disciples who followed him and when john the baptist saw jesus walking past one day and his disciples they said like jesus where are you staying they didn't they didn't act in it because they wanted to see his house they literally was like no we want to see how you live to learn from you Mm -hmm. and so i think to to want to be discipled by somebody who you don't have close proximity with it's not even um realistic you know what i'm saying and i don't think this is the way god intended it to be uh it's possible I, I, it, no, I don't think because real what, discipleship. But, no, so what we do is we still influence and, and, and disciple people in a way. I think deep discipleship. Well, that's what I'm talking about, deep re- discipleship. Yeah, requires some proximity. For one, you don't know my life, right? And Absolutely. so you're, you, you're even asking the question based on who you perceive me to be according to pictures, videos, and my words. But real discipleship is when you get up close to Jackie and say, oh, 
like this is actually how she treats her husband this is actually how she responds to her children this is actually how she spends her time yeah. you know what i'm saying because discipleship isn't just what i'm able to articulate it's also what i'm able to model yeah and so yeah i'm not i'm i'm, I'm, I'm i've moved on from critiquing you i was just no no I, I know i wasn't gonna say i wasn't gonna critique you I'm, oh. I'm just saying like i think that even when jesus was was like discipling his disciples I think that it was people that that gleaned from him when he like taught on the Sermon on the Mount and stuff like that. Right. But I think that when you have close proximity to a person and mm -hmm. you can learn from somebody, I think that just changes the game when you can see how they love their wife, yeah. how they love their spouse, how they respond to their neighbor. I think that's when you get to the nitty gritty of and discipleship. When you discipling folks in person, you can actually see how they live, right? Yeah, because when it's just on Zoom or email or whatever the case may be, you could be like, oh, yeah, I've been in my word and I've been praying and I've been fasting. But when I'm able to actually watch you for two hours and see your yeah. attitude, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And yeah. see like little things about you that needs to, 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 to be addressed. It just it just makes it all the more uncomfortable, but that much more fruitful. Yeah. So praise God that it's a no. Um, let's see. Deidre. Deidre. Or, hey, Deidre. Or is it Deirdre? I think it's Deidre. <laughs> Look I'm at it. Deirdre. Deirdre. I'm I don't know. You. So D. <laughs> D. Parker says, "How do you view God in creativity?" If I were to reword it or rephrase it, they probably mean, you know, when it comes to being creative, how do you see God in it? Or how do you seek God for it, maybe? Yeah, God and creativity. God and creativity. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think it's beautiful f f when we look in the scriptures, the first thing that we see about God is that he is a creator. You know, God created the earth. You know, God created man in his image. And so I think one of the, the first things that we should think about in being created in the, in the Imago Dei is that, you no know, God you know, has made all of us creative because we are a reflection of, of him. And so I don't know if the question is. Well, it's really for you. So for me, when it comes to being creative, the way I see God in it is really what you said is one, believing the truth that God himself is creative. Yeah. And if God himself is creative, then he can make me creative, too. Um, but yeah. I think what's really helpful for people, I remember when, when we lived in Chicago, one person that used to be around us all the time, since all of us were like poets, she wasn't a poet. So she used to feel like she wasn't an artist, like yeah. she wasn't creative, yeah. but it's like, you don't have to be musical or draw or do poetry to be creative. Like if you got, a, a you, if you do spreadsheets. You know, if you're real good with Excel, like there's a way to be creative in the way you Facts. even do stuff administratively. I'll be sending them emails. That's what I'm saying. Like that, that's that's a creative gift too. And so I, that's one thing is to say like God ain't playing favorites when it comes to gifting people with the ability to be creative. Yeah. And also too, I think for the, for the Christian who is exploring their creativity is to not settle with just talking about Jesus and thinking that's good enough. Because I think... When we first started to do poetry and we first started to get in these creative spaces, we took being a child of God as a challenge and saying, man, is, there's no way that someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit should be operating in their creativity. More so we wanted to go in spaces and do poetry in yeah. secular spaces and talk about Jesus, but 
but we want our writing to be just as good as any secular poet. And yeah, so yeah, I yeah. Think that having the mindset that when I go in this space, I want to be great. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I was created by somebody great and I'll serve somebody that's great. Mm. And so I think that we should have that mindset. Uh, we should want to kill. You know what makes for it, Jesus. what makes creativity very hard is what's the word? Comparison. Yeah. Because Jonathan Reynolds comparison kills. <laughs> when when you think that your kind of creativity is not creative enough, yeah, then you actually weaken your ability to be creative. Because the whole thing about being cre creative is you being you. Like I said this on Instagram, it's like the way that God made you, the way that you think, the way that you've been nurtured, the way you see the world, the way you talk, the way you move, the friendships you have, the way you look at the Bible, all of that informs your ability to be creative yeah. because it means that you are complete, like you are a whole person that is completely distinct from everybody that exists on and the And you earth. know why comparison robs us so much? Please tell me. Because it prevents like the, the, the greatest artists in the world, the reason why they were able to be celebrated around the world is because they did a great job of inviting people into their mind. Explain. Right. And so Basquiat, right? Like, Oh, we, you think he's the greatest? No, I'm just saying, I'm just, uh -oh. just throwing out an artist out, okay. out there, but I'm just saying like <laughs> artists who, who are creative, like, you know, when you're not inviting people into the way you think, but you're borrowing from somebody else and trying to like operate of somebody else's creativity and vision. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think the greatest artists, like they're sharing a reflection of who they are. Yes. And so I think when you compare yourself to somebody, yes. it's like you rob yourself of the God-given creativity that God is putting you mm -hmm. because you're looking at their creativity. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, like I think that's when we was traveling with the Poets and Autumn Tour. I think that's what made it special is because I couldn't say metaphors like Jeanette and I couldn't do double entendres like Ezekiel. Like Ezekiel. And I couldn't, you know, do um, as many metaphors in one sentence like you. But I can I can tell stories well, right? You know, and so we all had that that thing that made us us, mm -hmm. and I think that's what made it beautiful. You know what I'm saying? That's beautiful. So I would add this because now we're on this 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 uh soapbox. Pray for it. We be praying for everything else. We be yeah. praying, you know, that God sent us a spouse, that God will give us a job. But just like no, like if you're a writer, you're a singer, you're whatever. Sit down and ask God to help you be creative. Straight up L and down. Literally, every time I write a book or a sermon, I am asking God to help me be creative. Literally. And you don't even think to ask that for a sermon. But I say, no, like God help me approach the text and articulate it in a way that is creative yeah. and winsome and solid, but creative so that I'm able to bring out things in the text that people are used to that they may not have heard or seen in that way. Yeah. Like it, it takes creativity to do that. And God is able to give us that power if Amen. we would just ask him. Uh... Amen. Marissa Krausen said, how do you close the gap between what you say you believe about God and how you actually live your life? Application. For example, it's how. Like how I like I believe the gospel, but how I spend my time, what I worry about, what's important to me shows that I don't quite trust God like I say I do. Excellent question. It is a good question. You want to take it first or me? Man, I think for me, um, me applying what I know, 
really boils down to what I feel in the times where I don't apply what I know is that those are the times I have a problem with believing that God is like truly who he says he is in my life. And this is what I mean. I think that the more secure I become in God, in whatever area in my life, I can, I, I then, I'm then able to apply what I read and what I know, and I'm not as anxious, and I'm not as fearful, and I'm not as sinful in those seasons. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think that, like, really, truly, like, because it's, it's one thing about, like, knowing things, right, and, and reading things, but it's another thing when it comes to, like, believing things. And I think that we have this overall arching belief of God. But sometimes our belief in who he is wavers. And I think that my application begins to waver when I just start to believe that maybe, you know, God isn't going to show up or God isn't going to be with me or God isn't going to, you know, um, I don't know, hmm. you know, show up in my life the way he did in other seasons. And hmm. so I think uh, for me, it's like uh, the book of Deuteronomy is so great because the whole book is, is really uh, encouraging them to remember. I think. I think we we lose faith um, and in those times and losing faith, um, we have a hard time applying what we know because we simply don't remember the God of the past. Mm -hmm. And so because we don't remember the God of the past, it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't um, propel us to like, you know, trust in the God in the future and in the present. And so that's for me. I think one element of the problem is that we don't know what belief we don't know what belief is, right? And so you have Jesus who says, you know, you believe, believe that God is one. The, the demons believe that too. Mm. So there is a kind of faith that doesn't actually change behavior. Mm -hmm. It's only an, uh, uh, an acknowledgement of a truth, yeah. right? So I can acknowledge that God is one, but his trinity doesn't actually change how I live my life or how I pray or how I study mm -hmm. until I treat it as true. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's has to be the way we define belief is I have to treat this as reality. Yeah. So Paul says, lay your life down uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Mm. Uh, that's the coming in on day. I think the way you like my fake son to treat that text as true is to believe that God is the Lord of my body. If I treat that as true, then it's it's like nah, like my body is His. My body was made for Him. My yeah. body is useful to Him. My mm. body can be 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 um, yeah, that it'll be glorified one day. All the things. And so what that does is it informs all of my relationships now. Mm -hmm. So if I meet a dude that's like, hey, let's smash. Nope, my body belongs to the Lord. Smash nope, my body like smash means sex. Yes, I know somebody's looking at the dictionary. What does smash mean? <laughs> so treating that as true immediately determines or changes how I live my life because it it just it rules everything. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I don't know. I, I really feel like I overcomplicated that. No, but it was actually really good, but that's I tried to be as practical as I as I possibly could. No. But I also think that a, a really uh, a, a practice or a discipline that we need to develop is when we see ourselves responding in a way that is unbiblical, interrogating that. 
So not to the point of mm. shame and hopelessness, yeah. because there's a kind of inward interrogate interrogation that actually leaves you more discouraged because the enemy comes inside of that and accuses you, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think there's a healthy interrogation that says, huh, I know what the Bible says, but I'm responding this way. Why? Yeah. And I think underneath that is where you can start to find some things about God that you actually don't believe is true. Yeah. You just know it is, is in the Bible. And that's the reason why in the New Testament, God calls us to test ourselves a lot like test yourself to see if you really in the faith test yourself um you know putting false prophets among you to test you and so like i think that we have to continue to test ourselves mm -hmm. and be real with ourselves and be like man i'm responding to this way to this particular thing in this way why you know what i'm saying and let me take it to the lord yep um so and he's good he like, is good the holy spirit really does next question help us all right so there were two questions one by leah one by Irvina, i suppose that deals with people dealing with like occult practices or new age spirituality mm. and so i guess if you had a friend who you know is burning sage all the time and crystals or like you know there's a, a rise in, in black women uh embracing witchcraft and tarot cards and like yeah how do we what are we supposed to think about that? Well, one thing that I'll, I'll say for people who are dealing with friends who are dealing with these quote-unquote new things to know that it's not new. When, when the Bible says nothing new under the sun, like, you know, it's just repeated sins done in different ways. But it's really nothing new. I mean, the Bible uh, and, and, you know, the early church dealt with things like mysticism and all kind of, you know, sorcery and witchcraft even in, you know, in Jesus's day and before Jesus's day. And so um, to know it's, it's nothing new. Um, and so like the devil really doesn't create, he just perverts. And so he's always going to try to find something new to pervert and, you know, present it to a people and make them think that they um, have explored something new that the world isn't up on. Um, and he's just deceiving people out here. Um, and so with that being said, though, I think that when we deal with people who are in this new age, um, witchcraft, when it's low-key, a lot of this stuff is just witchcraft, you know, just... No, hockey. Yeah, high key, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, demonic. I ain't saying if you burn sage, you a witch, no, though. No, no. A lot of it is. I'm just saying <laughs> you no. might have learned it from some, from some witches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, oh, because... We got to recognize it's seasoning, okay? Yeah. We, we put this in dressing. <laughs> it, 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 it flavors it. And it, it's, not, it's not changing energy. Yeah. You know what changes energy? Prayer. Yeah, I just Go don't ahead. want the people to think that the, actual, the, the sage is what's evil, the, the heart it's is. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's it's, the, go, it's the golden calf was not evil. Put not this a symbol in of your dressing. We are already, it's already inflation. You know right. how much sage probably going to cost come November? <laughs> and you... <laughs> Oh, we are burning it? It don't even smell good. I can't even think of the word sage without thinking about our one year old. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, but uh but yeah, what was I gonna say? You didn't get me off my little I'm so sorry. No, what I was gonna say was, um, I think that we have to understand that a lot of times sin creates other sin. And so I think what the devil does is and when I'm when I when I'm when I'm saying this, I'm thinking about a lot of black women who have ventured into this, you know. Um, I think what Satan does, he takes a lot of times the oppression of sometimes a people and instead of them running to Jesus, he gives them another idol to run to. And so I think a lot of women, 
um, that I've talked to out in the streets, they are tired of being powerless. And so I think that um, a lot of these new age religions and, you know, this witchcraft gives them a, a, a door to, to gain some type of autonomy and power. Uh, and it's just not black women. I think it's just all people. I think that these that these um, that these new age religions and, and this stuff uh, creates in them, you know, their own sense of like being their own God. You know, when it's really just you're not you're being really deceived by the devil. And so I think a way to deal with people like that is to one empathize with what, you know, what drove them to that place in the first place. So I think that if we only deal with the issue at hand and say, man, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is wrong. And they're just going to look at you like a Christian who just wants them to stop doing what they're doing. But, you know, a couple of, you know, months back, me and my videographer, Ken, we talked to a woman who worshipped her ancestors. And instead of beating her over the head with scripture, I wanted to talk about what drove her to believe these things in the first place. Like what drove her to it? And then when you got to the nitty gritty, you saw that it was molestation. You saw that it was the church abandoning her. You saw that it was her mom not believing her when she said that she was molested. You saw that it was deep, deep hurt. And so I think what she did was she ran to something that she felt like she could control. And I think that's the way the devil deceives people over and over again these people fail you these people let you down i have something better mm. aka i have something demonic that will mm. destroy you and so i think that we have to recognize what drove people to these things in the first place yeah witchcraft started in the garden uh when when eve and adam decided to get power apart from god's will mm -hmm. and I, I i i really do believe that that's at at the root of it but i actually feel like some of the responsibility is on the church because we are a church full of the holy spirit right mm -hmm. uh able to walk in all kinds of power but if people don't see that that power is accessible to them, then obviously they're going to go where they see the power is available at. Yeah. Which is, you know what I'm saying? So and even, false power. Even Lisa. Uh, but power all the same. Yeah. It, it, it's not power to uh, overcome sin, but it is power to, to change uh, non-eternal circumstances because yeah. demons are they have powers just limited. But like Lisa Fields was talking to this girl on her uh, Jew three uh, courageous conversation situation. And she said that the, the the way that she got into African spiritualism is that her um, her boyfriend or somebody had died and she was seeing him, like seeing him in her room and having like these visions of dead people and stuff. Mm. And she went to the church and she went to, to some of the elders that she knew and was like, hey, this is what's happening to me. And they was like, no, you just you just sad. You just grieving like ain't nothing going on. But then she was introduced to like this uh, group of like African spiritualists who were helped that gave her language and validated her experience with seeing these spirits or whatever you whatever may have you. So now she's not a Christian. She's not in the church. She's in this realm because somebody validated the fact that there is a spiritual reality at play, that it is scaring me. I need something to do with it. But when you got Christians that are so afraid of the supernatural, why do you why are you surprised when they gonna find supernatural means to handle natural stuff? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I, I think a part of it is not just being so 
so theologically astute that we actually miss the supernatural aspect of our faith. Yeah. We literally serve a resurrected Lord. That's supernatural. Yeah. He literally said that our bodies and our souls are going to meet in the resurrection. That's supernatural. We literally have a Holy Ghost that we cannot see. That's supernatural. You got people praying and being led by the Spirit and saying things about people's lives that they would not otherwise know. That's supernatural. So you can keep reading the Bible all you want, yeah. but if you're not tapping into the supernatural, you can't even discern it right yeah. so let's let's not mm, you said a mouthful i did it's good though so annie kenworthy that sounds like somebody made up your last name like they say you know what i don't want to be jenkins no more i like ken i think he's worth a lot so we're gonna be kenworthy <laughs> she said any advice on how to make the most of therapy i'll go first because you've been going first all the questions well, I'm the head, Anna. Because you, you've been stepping all into like, I've been like, oh, I'm going to say this. And then you say it, and then I have to come up with something else. Uh, <laughs> I've been well, saying what she's going to say. Yeah, literally on the witchcraft question. I was like, okay, what's another rabbit hole I can go down? But anywho, I, that's a, a really good question because I realized over the last two years, I know some people that be talking about they going to therapy all the time, and they're still toxic. <laughs> It's like, what is your therapist saying to you? Like, do they not see what I see? Like, why are they not addressing this issue? And so I realized that there is a way to engage in therapy that actually don't even do nothing for you. What do you think it is? You think it's them not being honest in therapy? Well, or you think one, it's the therapist is trash? One, you paying this person. So you picking the therapist. Because some people are so addicted to self-deceit that they will get a therapist that won't even help them just so they can have a therapist. Ooh. Just so they can. Um, you just want them to affirm you and tell you like the surface level issues that you already know that you have. And when but I let us get to the root. And low key, when I first when we first started talking about therapy, which was a couple of years back, it wasn't as cool. I think that I think going to therapy is kind of the new wave. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking care of my mental health, girl. I'm, I'm going. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but are you? It's like, are you, though? Like because you still toxic. <laughs> So, <laughs> and, and and toxic be with it's a pro it's a process. No, it is a process, but it's some stuff that's like basic. It's like you're a terrible friend. Like it don't it don't. How much therapy does one need? Right. to become a better friend. Yeah. I just I just don't understand. So I think one way to make the most of therapy is actually to be honest with yourself about the kind of therapist you pick. Yeah, because there are some therapists that will coddle you. There are some therapists like I I know an individual who their bent is manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. And their therapist coddles them in such a way that I don't even think the therapist sees that the person is manipulating them even in the answers that they give them. Does yeah. it make sense? Yeah. And so I think there's a, a level of like honesty and integrity that you have to have in who you decide to uh, pick counsel you in that way. I think another thing is therapy cannot be your only therapy or a therapist cannot be your only therapy. So what I mean is having a therapist is great. But talking through what you and your therapist are discussing within community with people that know you outside of the office is helpful, too. Absolutely. Because they'll be able to actually go deeper or expose or add color to the conversation that you and your therapist had. Yeah. Um, another thing is um, you, you talk about honesty. I mean, honest in the therapist that we pick. But I think that 
before that, I think that we, we have to make it up in our minds that we're going to be honest with ourselves before we are honest with our therapist. Because I think that when some years back when you was telling me I need therapy, th- I need therapy, and you was in therapy for some years, and I was like, I don't need therapy. As long as you get therapy, we're going to be good. <laughs> and then when you finally That's convinced so me, it was I was deceived. Yeah. And when, when arrogant, you, too. But when you... <laughs> It's very arrogant. Look, it's my past sins. Mm-hmm. I didn't let that go. No, nah, uh, I was I was speaking all all sixteen hundred men who think that their wives need therapy and they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but when you when I finally went to therapy, um, I made it up in my mind that I'm going to be honest, completely honest, when I go and sit down with this therapist because if I don't, I'm going to waste my time and your money and my money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so like. It's hard, you know, but like don't go into therapy with your mind made up that I'm going to give half truth, that I'm going to leave this exposed and, 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 and not expose this. It's like if you're going to do it, be all the way in. And I think that it might be hurt, hurtful, painful, but I think at the end you will benefit. And you, so, you know, a couple deterrents to being honest with yourself, I think is I just just came to my mind when you're talking is. Sorry. If you're a people pleaser, because I've had times in therapy where I even want to please my therapist. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of gets in the way of my vulnerability because I want to impress you instead of being honest. Yeah. Like, and it's not even that I'm lying is that I'm not exposing. I'm not being willing to be as weak in front of you as mm-hmm. possible because yeah. I, I'm afraid to, to, to be there. That was my, that was my thing, you know, and my, and gr- gratefully we got a good therapist. Um, but she was just like, you've been, you've been being tough your whole life mm-hmm. and you've been hiding stuff your whole life. It's so much in you. Mm-hmm. Look at the way your shoulders is. And she was like, yeah, I don't just, like that. I don't like them. Like, why you got to point out my body language? <laughs> and so, yeah, a good therapist can bring that out, but they'll if you don't, yeah, they'll, they'll see it, it. and they'll, they'll, they'll expose it in time. Um, but I, I was going to say underneath that is also shame. Shame is a really yeah. uh, uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. And so a, to be honest with yourself is to have to deal with the fact that you're not as perfect or as beautiful or as wonderful or as smart as, or as, or as uh, overcoming yeah. as you think that you actually are. Facts. And so, but that's okay because that's honesty. That's where humility is, yeah. is when we actually embrace reality. Reality as it is, but also reality about ourselves. And that's how we grow up, is being like, oh, I do suck. Right. But so what? Yeah. So Ashley Rayleigh said, have you experienced a season where you just didn't feel close to God after you had been saved? And if so, how did you navigate that season? I think I've, I've told this story before, but I think that's, the thing that pops up to me the most is um a year after being a christian they that first year i was just on fire for the lord and um i often told the story about how after that year i feel like i um i gave up so many things um you know secular music smoking weed all of these things but the, the sin that i kept falling in was fornication i just couldn't stop um you know finding myself in bad situations with women and I I fell into a deep depression and it got to the point where I didn't believe that I was a Christian because I couldn't overcome this particular sin and um I kind of went back into the world um and then I got challenged by the dude who discipled me to really just seek the Lord and, and pray and um 
yeah, and I was just honest with the Lord. I think um, me being in that in that place, um, I, I, I looking back now, I, I see that I, I love the Lord, and I was convicted over that sin. I just couldn't conquer it, and I remember just being honest with the Lord and saying, "Lord, I can't defeat this particular sin." I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and all of that. And uh, I prayed and asked the Lord to reveal to me if I was really in him. And he did so by just doing something very small, by allowing me to see a fight online. And I began to weep on, uh, at the computer for this dude who was, you know, getting beat up. And I was like, yo, I've been seeing crazy stuff all my life. Why am I crying? And the Lord kind of spoke to my heart and was like, that's because your heart is new. And it just, it just you know, uh, revitalized me. And from there... I, I've always kind of had that um, that same motto when I fall into seasons where I'm not like on fire. It's just gonna be completely honest with God. I'm just completely honest. Like God, I do not want to spend time with you. Help me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing about God is that we need help from God to obey God. We need help that's, from that's like kinda, that's the whole God. We need help. <laughs> From God to love God. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I think a lot of times when we don't feel like that, we don't feel that love, we try to we try to muster it up from somewhere else. And it's like, no, actually, to love me more, you have to come to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> for it. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I, I'm just really, I'm just honest and just real with God. Like, God, I don't I don't feel like waking up talking to you. And um, God is a, he's a, he's a, he's, he's mature, <laughs> way more mature than us. And I think that he can deal with it. He can take it and he can help us, you know. Two reasons uh people might feel distant from god it's one there's idolatry or two there's immaturity yeah idolatry is there's some sin in your life Mm -hmm. and because of that sin your heart isn't as soft as it used to be your conscience isn't as soft as it used to be you've just kind of made a lot of excuses for little sin but it's the little leaven that leavens the whole lump it's the little foxes that we have to watch out for and i i think christians miss how important it is to maintain a sensitive heart. Um, meaning like to just to never just make any provision for the flesh. That don't mean we make mistakes, but I think deliberately and continuously turning away from God in small minor decisions makes us less likely to sense his presence or his call or uh you know or even care about what we read in the scriptures or worship with a full inflamed heart and so I think that that's important is that we need to get to the root of man do I have some idols in my life that I've been holding on to that's keeping me from sensing or like feeling near to God but I think on the other end there's also immaturity uh, and I got that from Tim Keller because Tim Keller said, you know, that you're a mature Christian when you don't need to feel close to God to know you're close to God. Mm-hmm. And it has to get to a point where I know what I know, even if I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have to know that God is everywhere. Yeah. I have to know that God has filled me. I yeah. have to know that God loves me. Mm. I have to know that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that will keep me from God, that he is with me and will never leave me nor forsake me. That's reality. That it don't always feel like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think if we feel you, that in marriage all the time. <laughs> no, that's real talk. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think if you ex, if you if you need a feeling to confirm your nearness to God, then you will always be very double minded mm. because you're gonna feel things all the time, and the devil can play on that because he yeah. can, he can, he could play with your little emotions. Why you feel like heart. that? You, you mm. know what I'm saying? So you now love you feel him? like God don't love you. God ain't with me because I don't feel him. You don't have to feel anything. Yeah, yeah. just know what you know. And yeah. if either God is with you or he ain't. 
That's good. And that's that on that. So I appreciate y'all for, for, for being with us for season four. If you want more exclusives and all the things, go to www.patreon.com forward slash with the Perrys. Yeah. Or you can go to with the And actually season five is going to be around the corner. Yeah, man. We, we, we releasing season five this same year. So y'all ain't got to wait another 12 months for another season. And we ain't having no more babies. So you ain't got to wait to yeah, shoot. That's, you know, that's done, daughter. That's That's done. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? We not having a starting lineup. We oh, not Lord. doing the five. Yeah, bye y'all. Sticking with the phone. 30 Minutes with the Perrys is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Edited by Angie Elkins. Video recording and audio production by Kim Powell. Artwork by Hop and music by Swoop. Join us on Patreon for early access to With the Perrys episodes and other exclusives. You got two options. You can go to www.patreon.com forward slash with the Perrys or just go ahead, scroll. You'll find the link in our show notes. We are the Perrys. Thank y'all for listening. Now go with God. Go with God.